Hey, you're listening to episode 24 of the Urology Audio Guidelines Podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Nick Serrano. In this episode, we'll be discussing the guidelines for surgical management of stones. Imaging and preoperative testing. One, clinicians should obtain a non-contrast CT scan on patients prior to performing PCNL. Two, clinicians may obtain a non-contrast CT to help select the best candidate for Eswall versus ureteroscopy. Three, clinicians may obtain a functional imaging study, DTPA or MAG3, if clinically significant loss of renal function in the involved kidney or kidneys is suspected. Four, clinicians are required to obtain a urinalysis prior to intervention. In patients with clinical or laboratory signs of infection, urine cultures should be obtained. Five, clinicians should obtain a CBC and platelet count on patients undergoing procedures where there is a significant risk of hemorrhage or for patients with symptoms suggesting anemia, thrombocytopenia, or infection. Serum electrolytes and creatinine should be obtained if there is suspicion of reduced renal function. 6. In patients with complex stones or anatomy, clinicians may obtain additional contrast imaging if further definition of the collecting system and the ureteral anatomy is needed. Treatment of adult patients with ureteral stones. 7. Patients with uncomplicated ureteral stones less than or equal to 10 millimeters should be offered observation and those with distal stones of similar size should be offered medical explosive therapy with alpha blockers. Eight, clinicians should offer re-imaging to patients prior to surgery if passage of stones is suspected or if stone movement will change management. Re-imaging should focus on the region of interest and limit radiation exposure to uninvolved regions. Nine, in most patients, if observation with or without MET is not successful after four to six weeks, and or the patient slash clinician decide to intervene sooner based on a shared decision-making approach, clinicians should offer definitive stone treatment. 10. Clinicians should inform patients that Eswall is the procedure with the least morbidity and the lowest complication rate, but ureteroscopy has a greater stone-free rate in a single procedure. 11. In patients with mid or distal ureteral stones who require intervention, who were not candidates for or who failed MET, clinicians should recommend ureteroscopy as first-line therapy. For patients who decline ureteroscopy, clinicians should offer Eswall. 12. Ureteroscopy is recommended for patients with suspected cysteine or uric acid ureteral stones who fail MET or desire intervention. 13. Routine stenting should not be performed in patients undergoing Eswall. 14. Following ureteroscopy, clinicians may omit ureteral stenting in patients meeting all of the following criteria. Those without suspected ureteral injury during ureteroscopy, those without evidence of ureteral stricture or other anatomical impediments to stone fragment clearance, those with a normal contralateral kidney, those without renal functional impairment, and those in whom a secondary ureteroscopy procedure is not planned. 15. Placement of a ureteral stent prior to ureteroscopy 
should not be performed routinely. 16. Clinicians may offer alpha blockers and anti-muscarinic therapy to reduce stent discomfort. 17. In patients who fail or are unlikely to have successful results with Eswall and or ureteroscopy, clinicians may offer PCNL, laparoscopic, open, or robotic-assisted stone removal. 18. Clinicians performing ureteroscopy for proximal ureteral stones should have a flexible ureteroscope available. 19. Clinicians should not utilize electrohydraulic lithotripsy as the first-line modality for intraureteral lithotripsy. 20. In patients with obstructing stones and suspected infection, clinicians must urgently drain the collecting system with a stent or nephrostomy tube and delay stone treatment. Treatment of adult patients with renal stones. 21. In symptomatic patients with a total non-lower pole renal stone burden less than or equal to 20 millimeters, clinicians may offer Eswall or ureteroscopy. 22. In symptomatic patients with a total renal stone burden greater than 20 millimeters, clinicians should offer PCNL as first-line therapy. 25. In patients with total renal stone burden greater than 20 millimeters, clinicians should not offer Eswall as first-line therapy. 27. Clinicians may perform nephrectomy when the involved kidney has negligible function in patients requiring treatment. 28. For patients with symptomatic flank pain, non-obstructing calocele stones without another obvious etiology for pain, clinicians may offer stone treatment. 29. For patients with asymptomatic, non-obstructing calocele stones, clinicians may offer active surveillance. 30. Clinicians should offer Eswall or ureteroscopy to patients with symptomatic less than or equal to 10 millimeter lower pole renal stones. 31. Clinicians should not offer Eswall as first-line therapy to patients with greater than 10 millimeter lower pole stones. 32. Clinicians should inform patients with lower pole stones greater than 10 millimeters in size that PCNL has a higher stone free rate but greater morbidity. 33. In patients undergoing uncomplicated PCNL who are presumed stone free, placement of a nephrostomy tube is optional. 34. Flexible nephroscopy should be a routine part of standard PCNL. 35. Clinicians must use normal saline irrigation for PCNL and ureteroscopy. 39. In patients not considered candidates for PCNL, clinicians may offer staged ureteroscopy. 40. Clinicians may prescribe alpha blockers to facilitate passage of stone fragments following Eswall. 43. Eswall should not be used in the patient with anatomic or functional obstruction of the collecting system or ureter distal to the stone. 44. In patients with symptomatic calocele diverticular stones, endoscopic therapy with ureteroscopy, PCNL, laparoscopic, or robotic approaches should be preferentially utilized. 45. Staghorn stones should be removed if attendant comorbidities do not preclude treatment. Treatment for pediatric patients with ureteral or renal stones. 46. In pediatric patients with uncomplicated ureteral stones, 
less than or equal to 10 millimeters, clinicians should offer observation with or without MET using alpha blockers. 47. Clinicians should offer ureteroscopy or ESWAL for pediatric patients with ureteral stones who are unlikely to pass the stones or who have failed observation and or MET based on patient-specific anatomy and body habitus. 48. Clinicians should obtain a low-dose CT scan on pediatric patients prior to performing PCNL. 49. In pediatric patients with ureteral stones, clinicians should not routinely place a stent prior to ureteroscopy. 50. In pediatric patients with a total renal stone burden less than or equal to 20 millimeters, clinicians may offer ESWAL or ureteroscopy as first-line therapy. 51. In pediatric patients with a total renal stone burden greater than 20 millimeters, both PCNL and ESWAL are acceptable treatment options. If ESWAL is utilized, clinicians should place an internalized ureteral stent or nephrostomy tube. 52. In pediatric patients, except in cases of coexisting anatomic abnormalities, clinicians should not routinely perform open, laparoscopic, or robotic surgery for upper tract stones. 53. In pediatric patients with asymptomatic and non-obstructing renal stones, clinicians may utilize active surveillance with periodic ultrasonography. Treatment for pregnant patients with ureteral or renal stones. 54. In pregnant patients, clinicians should coordinate pharmacological and surgical intervention with the obstetrician. 55. In pregnant patients with ureteral stones and well-controlled symptoms, clinicians should offer observation as first-line therapy. 56. In pregnant patients with ureteral stones, clinicians may offer ureteroscopy to patients who fail observation. Ureteral stent and nephrostomy tube are alternative options with frequent stent or tube changes usually being necessary. Treatment for all patients with ureteral or renal stones. 23. When residual fragments are present, clinicians should offer patients endoscopic procedures to render the patient's stone free, especially if infection stones are suspected. 24. Stone material should be sent for analysis. 26. Open, laparoscopic, and robotic surgery should not be offered as first-line therapy to most patients with stones. Exceptions include rare cases of anatomic abnormalities with large or complex stones or those requiring concomitant reconstruction. 36. A safety guide wire should be used for most endoscopic procedures. 37. Antimicrobial prophylaxis should be administered prior to stone intervention and is based primarily on prior urine culture results, the local antibiogram, and in consultation with the current best practice policy statement on urologic surgery antibiotic prophylaxis. 38. Clinicians should abort stone removal procedures, establish appropriate drainage, continue antibiotic therapy, and obtain a urine culture if purulent urine is encountered during endoscopic intervention. 41. If initial ESWAL fails, clinicians should offer endoscopic therapy as the next treatment option. 42. Clinicians should use ureteroscopy as first-line therapy in most patients who require stone intervention in the setting of uncorrected bleeding diatheses 
or who require continuous anticoagulation or antiplatelet therapy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.